This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros. This week's guest is Ryan O'Connell. What a sweetheart. Got a new show on Netflix called Special. I watched the whole dang thing. Please enjoy this chat. Also, if you live in Montreal, I will be coming to your city from uh, the 18th to the 24th, I think. The 18th to the 24th. I wonder how high my voice could get. Also, if you live in Dublin, I will be in your city from the 25th to the 27th. And so as you can hear from what I've just described, I've made a mistake, or the people that do my bookings have, because I'm going to be performing in Montreal on July 24th, and then in Dublin on July 25th, which means I am going straight from one show to the airport, landing in a different country, and then going to another show from there. And this is the level of dedication slash mistakery that I bring to the comedy world. So I'll see you in either Montreal or Dublin soon. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. Will you introduce yourself? I always have guests introduce themselves. Sure. Um, I'm Ryan O'Connell. I'm a writer, I guess an actor now, question mark. And yeah, that's basically it. Oh, and I guess I, I made a show called Special on Netflix. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's important to say. <laughs> it is important to say. I also think, I mean, you you definitely are an actor in that in that you've been on my television screen in my house, right? Which that lead, you know what I mean? There's sure. there's certain assumptions we can make from that. <laughs> yeah, like if there was like a dictionary definition of acting, God bless, I would never know what it is, but I think I would probably fall into the category. Like I read lines. Like yes. I, 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 or I wrote them and, I, and then I said them. And but it was you like, identify as a writer first. Oh my God. Yes. Are you kidding me? Acting is like a label that like doesn't quite fit yet, but she's like warming up. I'm, she's warming up, but like it fits a little bit. Like we'll see. We need to see. Like I need to grow into my like acting bod. You know what I mean? Where, where are you from originally? Uh, I'm from Ventura, California, which is like an hour north of here. Like blue collar beach town, like easy breezy. They call it Bakersfield by the sea, honey, not to brag. <laughs> <laughs> and the writing that you did that led to this show, can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Um well, I wrote for a website called Thought Catalog for a couple of years in my 20s, and um, I was just, like, blogging, like, stupid listicles, like, 10 reasons why you're in your 20s for another three years when you're 27, like, you know, like, whatever. And uh, from that, I got a book deal, and um, I wrote uh, a book called I'm Special and Otherwise We Tell Ourselves. At that point, I was writing for television. I've been writing for television for, like, six years. Um, and then Special got optioned, and then... A million jazillion years later, we had a show. <laughs> it sounds so truncated when I explain it to you. Like literally, like it was like a year, years and years and years, you know, to get it on the screen. Yeah, I would like to hear more about that because I, I do think that that often feels like a really fast process from the outside, really slow process from the inside. Oh my so god! So when you say years and years, like what year are you talking about it getting optioned? Can you do yeah. you remember? Yeah, no. Um, oh yeah, I wish I could forget. My teeth are chattering. <laughs> um, no, it was. I think it got optioned. Like probably it got optioned before the book even came out. So it got optioned like in April 2015, and it came out April 2019. So I would say door to door, door to door. I would say uh, four years, and um, it was a long process of getting it made. We we went out with um you know this kind of like gay dream team of Craig Johnson, my director, uh, John Regi and Jim Parsons, obviously. And uh, every pitch we did, we felt like, wow, like we really killed it. Like we, we are assuming they're going to make an offer or something. And um, no one did, but you know, it was such a different time back then. I, I, I say this, I've said this before, but in 2015, like Hollywood was in a space where they were just like realizing that they were like racist and like misogynistic. So like being gay and disabled was like not part of the journey yet. Like, you know, like we had to, I had to wait for us to get there. Um, 
I think so much now looking back at my career and like the things that have worked out versus the things that haven't worked out, it really truly is all about timing and kind of right time, right place and hitting the zeitgeist at the right correct moment. And I think what's special, it was just a weird show that no one really knew what to do with until they did. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a gay person that lived through those time periods, so I understand <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, when I first did stand-up on television, what year would it have been? Like 2013, maybe? twenty? Yeah, 2013. Um, it was really radical. I, I did like a set wherein I talked about being an engaged lesbian and then Jay Leno had announced his retirement and was sitting, this was on Craig Ferguson's show mm-hmm. when that was late night show. And Jay Leno was sitting there and I said like, uh, you know, like denim wedding dresses, like Jay, you know about denim. And then Craig said, are you calling Jay Leno a lesbian? And I was like, you don't get their, that haircut without some knowledge of the community. It was a whole thing. <laughs> but my that. point is it made the new, like it, there was like n- it was like news. Like oh, they, I love they that. interrupted me, and then I went over and <laughs> sat. Like, and the, lo- they're like, "Local lesbian speaks, and things come out of her mouth." <laughs> People it, are it seriously was like, was like, <clears throat> like lesbian. Uh, Jay Leno says lesbians are the future of television. That was like the final thing that he said after I sat next to him. LOL. And it was, yeah, like I'm saying, it literally was. The, the news. Like at the time, it was like yeah. Jay Leno says the word lesbian was. A big deal. So yeah, of course. That's just it's, a few years ago. It I don't know. I watched um I watched some first episodes of Euphoria mm-hmm, over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any of it yet? Yeah. Oh my god, it's crazy town it USA. Is, what were you gonna say? It's what? It's crazy town USA. It's so good. It's extremely good. It's also a, it was a real um gut check about where we are. You know, to your point. Cause it's cause that show is like feels very of this moment. Yeah. And then I think about how like a year ago that wouldn't have been true. No, absolutely not. And I think we still have a long way to go. I mean, here's the deal. Like TV and film, it's gayer than ever in some ways, absolutely. But it's still kind of medium rare to like have a gay character be the main person, to have it be their story and to really dive into their interior life. I think that we have gay characters, you know, falling out of the closet, tripping themselves over the closet to give advice over a chopped salad to a main character on a TV show. But it's really still radical to say that we don't want to be the chopped salad. We want to be the Wagyu steak. You and I are of agreement on this. (laughs) Do you you know the show that has a lesbian main character right now is Gentleman Jack on oh, HBO. Oh, yeah, and I haven't seen that it's yet. Like a, I mean, it's it's interesting and, and cool. It's also a period piece that takes place at a time when it doesn't really make sense to have people of color in the cast. Uh-huh. So just in terms of, like, where it is geographically and who would have been in this person's life. So it's just an interesting um, moment where, like, a couple years ago we had a few shows with lesbians, and now it's like, this is the one— she is from the past and, you know, it really feels like, you know, lesbians still exist, right? right, right like that's, right. that's what it makes totally. me feel like. Well, you know, you have, but, the L, you have the L word coming back. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm excited about it. I mean, I, I oh, actually. A pregnant uh, pause. Such a pregnant pause that you gave birth. Oh my God. Oh no. I mean, <laughs> I was just trying to figure out how much to say. I've like actually had a, I've read the pilot cause I, cause I'm, you know. Fancy Hollywood. Oh, person. honey, yeah, I you're, think it's you're in the good. mix. You're in the mix. She books. She books. Uh, um, no, I, I think it's. I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty good. I'm excited to see what happens with it. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be really awesome to have that on TV again. But again, like your show, is a central main character as opposed to a cast, an ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have, but but it, the show really revolves around your character. Right. Um, so that's also. We don't have too many of those right now. It's it's really exciting, and and I loved the show. I watched it. Oh, thank watched you. All of it. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Um, of, yes, of of course. I mean, <laughs> you're to the you, ground. What did, what did Any, you have me on to roast me? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, here's the thing. You say you're not an actor. Well, so do I. No, <laughs> I know, right? You're like that tracks. <laughs> I don't know if this is true, but. I actually didn't know. You said, of course, Jim Parsons, but I watching the show. Didn't know Jim was involved, and I think I didn't do the research to support this. But is this the is this the first project that he's been attached to with with somebody who's 
out and and queer as the character the main character yeah i mean he's done you know, he does boys in the band and like yeah he but yeah i mean this is like his post big bang theory moment um it's the first time he's been involved with something just as a producer yeah uh you know not an actor um but i love him i mean behind every powerless gay there's hopefully a power gay helping you get through <laughs> yeah i, mean, I, I, th- I think that's really exciting too because he is somebody who through his work on that show is just like, you know, mega powerful and and mega successful and mega wealthy, but he's not necessarily um, in charge of it. Right. Like that wasn't his show. So it's, it's very exciting when somebody takes that and transfers it into something that might like potentially your show might echo his life a little bit more, you know, it's, so it's very cool to see. I was excited when I found out that that was true. Yeah. He's incredible. Oh, this is rad. Yeah, yeah, no, it's incredible because, like, when I first met him, I was terrified because I, like, you know, celebrities are psychotic. So, like, you never know what you're going to get. So, like, when I got the email to meet him, I was really not expecting anything. Um, and so when I met him and his partner, Todd, I was bathed in relief because they are so normal. And it not, not like, celebrity normal where the bar is so low it's practically underground. Like, literally someone says hi to you and you're like, okay, you're Mother Teresa. Like, you're so grounded. <laughs> like, what the hell? Uh, no, they're actually like normal, normal, you know, they're like basically just like a bunch of like gay nerd lollers. And like, I don't know, he's just been really incredible. He's been like an amazing like support system for me. And especially going through this whole thing of like being the face of something, which I'm so not used to. I'm used to like, you know, breaking a B story about someone's bangs in Studio City, like, you know, sure. ordering cuckoo with chicken. So like. That's never really been my journey. And so, like, in doing all the press stuff, it's been a whole kind of aspect of this job that I'm truly, like, just getting used to. And so he's just been an amazing resource. And um, I love him. He's the best. I want to ask you a little bit more about that. When you, I know you said that you were writing for television. What were you working on? What shows were you writing on? Uh, I wrote on this show called Awkward for a couple seasons on MTV. That was really, I I was still like, I love fucking Awkward. I think it's so good. Uh, And then I wrote for Will and Grace, the reboot. Oh, I've heard I've heard of it. I know that little thing. <laughs> that, that little that little guy. <laughs> and you know, you're talking about your transition like uh from I I was going to say behind the camera to in front of the camera, but our writers even behind the camera so much as positioned in a windowless room. Right. Like, a short ride from where cameras would ever be. No, totally. But, we're like in the background, but like behind like we're like in the back of the background. You know what I mean? And then in this show you know, something that's true is like you show your body, you know, mm-hmm. you have like yeah. your, your shirts off, you're yeah, out there I mean, in the world. How how did you, did you go in feeling comfortable about that or did you have to work up to it? I don't know. I kind of feel like my attitude towards my body oscillates like wildly, I think with, like with most people. And I think uh, at the end of the day, I just don't give a shit. And I think it's like, it sounds really actually pretentious to say, but it's like, I kind of feel like showing a body like mine on TV it's so much bigger than me. Like, it's not really about me at all. Like, it's like to, to show someone that doesn't have like a flat stomach or someone that has scars and a skin graft and blah, blah, blah. Like, forget how I feel about that. I think just showing that on screen will hopefully help a lot of gay people. And so it's just really, it's just bigger than me. It's not about me. You know what I mean? So any kind of like reservations I have about it, they kind of don't matter. Because it's like, it serves a much larger purpose, in my opinion. I mean, that sounds really pretentious. Like, the things I do for my art and my people. No, I mean, it doesn't sound pretentious. It just sounds like you're still allowed to have your own feelings. I mean, that can be true, and you're still allowed to be a person with feelings, is kind of how I feel about it. Like, I I agree with you. It is important to sort of, you know, it's like having a, it's like being a woman with this haircut on TV. It's like, yeah, I don't know, whatever. But it doesn't mean, um say that you get to escape body shame just because just because you're important <laughs> to other right. people. Right. Well, you know? you know, I don't know. It's like, I guess at the end of the day, I don't care because like I work out five days a week. Like I have a good relationship with my body, but I also kind of eat whatever I want. Like, and I remember like before we shot like the sex scene, I literally had like a birthday cake ice cream sandwich. Like I just don't <laughs> care. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, like, I'm, I'm going to have the birthday cake ice cream sandwich because my body is hashtag brave. Um, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't, I don't know. I just feel like Caring so much about it takes up a lot of real estate that I would rather give to something else. Do you know what I mean? I'm so envious of that. I really am. Because I, mean, I think yeah. I, I, no, I just, I feel like 
my I'm pretty protective over my body. I just was in something where they t- tried to have me wear a tank top. And I was like, Which I will wear a sleeveless button-down shirt. <laughs> Wait, why? Why? Well, because I don't really show my chest. I mean, oh, like you, I okay. would maybe, but you have to show me. You have to pay me like a bunch of money, and they weren't. So right, right. Oh my yeah. god, I love that you have a price tag tag for your chest. That's like, yeah. That's Are like, you kidding? Girl, I love that for this like butch I gal. It's like I, that. I know I have boobs and they look great, but I just like I like to button it right over to the top, yeah. and uh, I will show the arms, but it's a different price <laughs> for the chest. <laughs> I'm obsessed, honey. I love it. Everyone should have a price on their chest. You know what I mean? Yes, chest price. Absolutely. That's all a chest price is real. I'm saying. Absolutely. Yes. Take a veil except for your chest, which is never a veil unless uh, the right price goes for that's it. That's right. That's right. I love it. <laughs> no, I mean, but here's the deal. Like, I still I still am a gay person in this world with access to Instagram. So, like, I still am, like, like I feel like I, like, gained a little bit of weight when I was, like, doing press and, like, my life was turned upside down, blah, 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 and I just, like, whatever. And, of course, I'm just like, oh, things feel a little tighter like would love for them to fit looser like I definitely do want to be perceived as fuckable and I think as like as a disabled person who's had my private parts basically erased by society like I get I derive a lot of pleasure from being objectified and like it is important to see people like to have people see me as a sexual object but the great thing about doing your own show and being naked on it is like all of a sudden you just have like a bunch of gay guys sliding into DMs like saying you're so hot like fuck me now which is like great for the old self-esteem yes that is great I'm so happy that's happening for you I know I mean, you, you are very um like what's the word here I mean I think <laughs> I'm just gonna like you're like conventionally attractive yeah yeah, you I know. know so I kind of. I mean, I know I am. Like, like I always joke that I'm like the slider of disability. Like, I'm a barad. I'm a barada toast. I'm the avocado toast of disability. Like, <laughs> literally, like it's like, honey, it's not advanced. It's beginners. You know what I mean? Like, it goes down easy. If you can't swallow this, then good luck with your projects. You know what I mean? Well, I also think that I'm curious about this because I feel like you maybe, like, even just looking at you now, mm-hmm. it's like. I know that you have a disability because I like have watched your show and mm-hmm. because we've been talking about it, but it's not necessarily something that is super forward in maybe depending on your body position right. or like what you're doing. Or for instance, like if you were online, mm-hmm. if you were, if you were like on, you know, grinder or whatever, I know there's a way you could position the camera where folks like oh, yeah. would not know what was going on. Yeah. So how, how do you navigate that in your life? Well, I mean, I've had a boyfriend for like four and a half years, so I've been kind of out. I've been kind of out of commish. I mean, I'm still on the apps, and I mean, at this point, it's like everyone knows I have cerebral palsy, so it's like just Google it, bitch. But like, sure. bef- before it was complicado because I felt like my disability wasn't severe enough to really like merit a whole discussion because it just. I mean, I have a limp, and that's basically it. It doesn't really impact the way I live day to day. I'm very lucky, but. But it also felt kind of like wrong to not include it. It was this, it was oh this weird limbo that I exist in perpetually about my disability, where it's like I'm not able-bodied enough, I'm not disabled enough, and it's like navigating the apps before I had a boyfriend was difficult because I didn't really feel like it was worth disclosing, but it felt wrong to not disclose it. So I kind of just didn't date anyone really like ever, and <laughs> like, was yeah. like a, a celibate Sally. You know? That's that's really. I mean, that's kind of discussed in the show is. Um, sort of that like the way you specifically present it people could make it a bunch of different assumptions about what has happened mm-hmm. there and mm-hmm. um you know like is this something that is this an event is this like a lifelong disability is that is that from your life yeah i mean well i mean what's based on truth is the fact that i was hit by a car when i was 20 years old and i did move to new york to go to school and everyone assumed my limp was from my car accident, and I just never bothered to correct them. I mean, it wasn't like, and it was a kind of the perfect lie because people don't like go and check in and be like, Ryan, how's your cerebral palsy going? Like, is it still good? Like, what's happening with that? Like, what's happening with that? Did you like land somewhere with that? Like, no one really talks about it. So in that in that way, it was sort of the perfect lie. Um, and uh, because to me, being an accident victim is so relatable. Like, anyone you know could get hit by a car. And then walk with a limp like that is something that could happen to any one of us. Whereas cerebral palsy, I think, is always misunderstood. And it also cerebral palsy is such a wide range of ability where it really does look different on every single person. So I never really identified with that. I mean, I still haven't really met someone who truly has the same kind of 
level of disability that I have. I've met like a few mild cases, but it's different and affects everyone differently. It's interesting. Yeah, that that is that is really interesting. I I have like a I used to work with kids with severe physical special needs, mm-hmm. I think was the term at the time. Maybe they maybe maybe they would use disability now. Um but kids who were like for, way further on the needing Others, yeah. assistive devices right. like that range but it, but it was still cp you right. know so it's so it's like it can be i mean I'm, i know i'm not telling you this but just for listeners it's like something that could be you can it can be profound like yes. affect verbal skills affect ability to speak um you could be in a chair or you know like like you're saying in your life it can be well no, it, i don't it, know what it, is it like it's in a your mi- life? it's a mild case like it's like I, that was my whole entire life growing up was that I would go to school like again because it didn't my my disability didn't affect me day to day so I was I went to school with all able-bodied kids like my friends were all able-bodied and then I would go to physical therapy and get stretched and I would be surrounded by people that had way more severe cases than I did of cerebral palsy and I couldn't really communicate with them I couldn't like I wanted to connect because I wanted to be like oh my god like another disabled person like sisters yes like queen like whatever and I like couldn't get that from them and it just really it just you know continued my feeling of otherness and not feeling but then also when I was at school like you know PE was always difficult like there was always I was always reminded of my disability in different ways and so I never felt completely like my able-bodied friends you know so again it was always perpetually feeling left out and wondering where do I fit in um and also like you know when you grow up in a society that is catered to able-bodied people, you have internalized ableism. So like for me, you know, I didn't want to be associated with my disability. I didn't want to be around other disabled people after a certain point. I was like, uh, actually, I don't want to associate that at all. I don't want anyone to think of me that way. So I just want to get rid of that, Um, which is obviously like poison for your brain. (laughs) Yeah. When did you revisit that? Um, or are you well, still revisiting that as well, like a daily practice? Oh yeah. Oh honey, you're going to have internalized ableism forever. I mean, it's like, like as long as we live in a society that really only cares about able-bodied people, like does not make a room for disabled people, like you're going to have those feelings of, I mean, I mean, they're, they're much less now, like completely, like I've come such a long way. Um, but it is, I think, something I'm always going to struggle with. I don't know. It's complicated. It's just complicated. I don't know. And I still don't have like... Um, like a group of disabled friends, whatever, whatever. I mean, it's so, it's so interesting. And also when I do meet another disabled person, it's sort of like reminds me of like being gay back in the day when someone would be like, oh my God, you're gay. Like my friend Jeff in HR is gay too. Like you should have drinks. And you're like, okay, the only thing me and Jeff have in common is that we both like to sleep with men. So then there's like, there's like (laughs) this, yeah. So then there's like this pressure to like connect with another disabled person because you're disabled. And like, yes, there's shared reference points, but like you also may not gel with their personality. And then when that one happened, when that would happen to me, when I wouldn't like gel with someone, I'd be like, oh, Oh my God, like what's wrong with me? I'm broken. Like, da, 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 da. so, but I, I, I think a lot of that, like mental gymnastics and a lot of like shame and whatever pressure that I would put on myself, I think I pretty much have let that self, like I've let that go. That doesn't really dominate my thinking anymore, which is good. I think working. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, I think, uh, well, what were you gonna say? Were you gonna say something next? No, I think, I think working on special and like, you know, it's interesting like doing doing the press stuff for the show. Like I have met with a lot of like disability groups and I've done like and I've met with a lot of disabled writers and um, I've been kind of like thrust into, I guess, the spotlight as like a disabled person. So it's almost like it's like full immersion therapy, like being thrown <laughs> into the deep end. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> and it's been really incredible. I really expected to be having moments where I was uh, a little like overwhelmed, a little scared, like da, 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 da. But I really haven't had that because the disabled community is so awesome and everyone is so great and like loving and nurturing that it's been like, it's been a great kind of home to go, to go to and to, to find, you know, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Best case scenario. That, yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I know sometimes it's a lot of pressure to be, the it person is. Who's oh, it still is, honey. Yeah. On that, e- even well, I just have found that like that can go either way. You know, that can be you can be really embraced, or people can be pretty critical or picky because they 
yes. want things to be exactly like sp- how it is for them. Specif- exactly. I was just going to say <laughs> specified to their experience. Yeah. You know, and as a person in the spotlight, you're always just speaking on your own behalf. Yes. But it's it's important to try to make those like the edges of your behalf, you know, cover other people or extend to other people Yes. without falling <laughs> into the trap of speaking for other folks. Uh, that so was, it's like this really interesting <laughs> dance. <laughs> it's a, it's a tightrope that we all walk, but you know, it's funny. I, I really was worried about that. I was really worried about the burden of representation. I felt that. And I was like, okay, I'm one of the first disabled people to get a platform like this to tell my story. But I know, I know that my story is not going to be everyone's story, and I hope they're okay with that. And twist, honey, they were. I cool. swear to God. I swear to God. I was expecting the backlash, honey. I was expecting like people to come for me, to drag me to filth. But they didn't. They really didn't. It's so interesting. I, I think here's what I'll say. I, I don't know why, actually, why that why there wasn't a backlash. I think, but I will say this. I, I think when you write from a pure place, which I did for special, like I just wrote purely from my experience, and I am a brutally honest person. Like, I don't hold back. And I think that when you're authentic, I think, like, people respond to that, even if that doesn't look exactly like them. You know what I mean? I don't I don't know. That's my guess as to why there was no backlash. Yeah, this, the specific. The specific always kind of, you're... Yes. You're, you're best covered by the specific. Because yeah. the more specific you can be, then the more obvious that is that you're, that you're, that you're, it's like you're showing instead of telling people that this just is my experience. Well, I also which, think the bar was so low for disability representation. I think like, <laughs> seriously, like it was like, what are we going to do? People, Take him down? Who's going to be next? I, I like, know. Literally yeah. they were just like, wow, like finally, like a disabled person where someone doesn't commit suicide at the end is a victory. Right. You know what I mean? Like, or like, or like, it's like, or it's actually written by an, or, a disabled person. Like, And it's, there's an actor who yes, disabled. is dealing with and not just disabled but like disabled in the way that the character is like that yeah. like it's you know yeah. i just feel like it's it's usually either somebody in disabled face or oh. it's somebody that's like stretching what's going on for them into yes. another sphere you know so it's fucking bleak man like disability representation is bleak as fuck like because to me what's important is that our stories get told, but they get told by us. So we profit from our own stories. I think that Hollywood has like a big old hard on for profiting off the pain of marginalized people without giving them any opportunities. And that really gets my goat. I hate that. Like, I can't watch another gay movie where it's like written and directed by a straight guy or it's starring a straight actor. Like, no, no, honey, you don't get to do that anymore. You yeah, don't... that's really, that really drives me crazy. No, I also am so not awful. sure if I'm allowed to say disabled face. I just want to say, as a oh, white person. I think it's like crip I think face. As a, as I think it's a, crip oh, face. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm I fine with it as an able-bodied <laughs> person. I'm wondering if as a white person I'm not allowed to no, say it. No, so, I, I don't well, think it's fine, honey. I'm not a PC warrior princess. We'll wait for the... We'll wait for the comments. Sure. Um, They'll come. (laughs) (laughs) They always do. (laughs) When you were a kid, when you were a kid, um, you said that PE was hard. Yeah. What... What what else? And I know you said you that there was stretching and PT going on. Were did you have to work on anything? Like I guess I'm thinking about like your gait or yeah, like the lot. specific way your posture, yes. things like that. Were there? Yeah. Yeah. I, tell me a little bit about that. Like what was happening for you in terms of how you spent your time getting your body to where it is now. It's hard with CP because when you're growing, that's when you need to do all the work. And then when you hit puberty and you stop growing, you're pretty much like done. Like, so the first, you know, 12 years of your life, I mean, for me, I had a lot of surgeries. I had this like surgery called like an Achilles tendon lengthening surgery, which basically meant that I was in a wheelchair for like five months. Um, I had, I had a couple surgeries growing up. I can't. Was that on both legs? Was that on both legs? I was on, I think both legs I don't fucking know I it's all like my memory is like Swiss cheese I just remember like a lot of surgeries and then I had like I had leg braces growing up which were such a fucking nightmare I mean it was like it was like catering to my disability was sort of a full-time job I also just like didn't know how to navigate my own body because I was like 
a placenta. I was a kid. So like it was just a lot of trial and error. And and then when I when I went to high school, it was sort of just like it was I mean, I was left with what I was left with, you know, so I was able to just kind of be, which was such a relief. Um Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's actually why you saying that you were left to kind of be that's actually why I'm asking because Again, just like a little bit of familiarity with folks who are dealing with CP. There was a lot of, um, you know, like stuff that like strength training exercises or like standing was Mm -hmm. specifically something that some kids would be like put in a standing position because weight bearing actually helps you grow taller. So things that like I think maybe able-bodied kids aren't even realizing that it's a, just like a ton of effort. You know, you're like, you're going through regular classes like other folks, but then you're just doing all these other things, essentially, uh, you know, prepping like an NBA star or whatever, like, and mixing that with like being an elementary school kid. We're also like navigating a world that is not built for us. So it's basically like every day is like a game of Frogger. Like, it's like literally like, okay, like, how am I going to get through this day? Like, how am I going to navigate this space that doesn't, that I don't fit in and that's not handicap accessible? Like, how am I going to not trip over this person as I like go to my desk and like, like, it's just crazy the amount of mental gymnastics you go through every single day to kind of appear palatable to everyone else around you. And like that's things that you do without even realizing, especially growing up because you're obviously not like emotionally intelligent enough to like realize what's going on. But in the last couple of years, I've really realized like how much thought goes into how people perceive me. And even like in my appearance, like it's like very much like oh, like, I'm disabled, but, like, don't worry, babe. Like, I'm wearing, like, acne jeans and an APC shirt. And, like, girl, I totally went to Bestia. I fucking love it. Like, it's, like, you know, it's just, like, it's all, like, I'm just like you. Like, that's the underneath of everything I do is, like, don't worry. Like, I'm not scary. Like, don't worry. I maybe present as something different, but I'm really not that different. And um, I think that gay people obviously have that in terms of the, the whole mask femme bullshit stuff. And... I think, yeah, you just want to fit into what's nor- what, what's perceived as normal, but I've kind of let that go. But it is, it is, it's sad, kind of like thinking about how much um, time I've kind of wasted to try to fit in, quote unquote. It's such a fruitless game. It is, but everybody listening, I'm sure, you know, since there's so many queer folks that listen to this show, you're exactly right to point out that it's. A similar gambit. I was just in right before I was in New York, which is where I'm filming or recording this now. I was just in rural, rural Oregon mm-hmm. and um, went into like the town that was there and mm-hmm. was going into businesses. Every business I walked into, I swear, every business was like, "Where, where are you from?" They just kept asking me where I was <laughs> from. Yep. Yeah, like you're it not was, from around here. Yeah, are you? it was yeah. perfect. Uh, yeah. Just I wanted to be like. I don't know if you had a meeting about this, but congratulations on nailing the in unison feeling of this. Um, I, I think, like I feel, I guess I'm a pretty confident person, but I still sometimes feel like I'm attracting a lot of attention to myself or, you know, down on myself just for like a shirt choice, you know. Yeah. And, and it's not like the world um, tells me not to worry about this. Yeah. yeah. Instead, no. if you're in Oregon, people are like, you are definitely gay. But that's just, <laughs> they, don't say, they don't say it that way. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, I, I'm a very confident person, too. And I kind of think I always have been. But then there's always things that, like, remind me that I still have a long way to go. Like, even with acting in special, I was never attached to star in it. And I, I now I've realized, like, I am a performer. And that's okay. I think I had a lot of stigma and shame around it because I feel like... Wanting to do my own show, wanting to executive produce it, wanting to write it, I felt like, oh well, that's enough. That's enough. I don't. I don't need any more. I don't want to take too much. I don't want to take too much. So, when you know, we initially went out and pitched it, and I didn't attach myself. It wasn't like I was like deep down being like, oh God, I wish I could act. I wish. I don't know why I'm southern in this scenario, but um, you know, I wish I could. I wish I could give myself the courage to want that. It was buried so deep down that I didn't even realize that that was something I wanted until we went to this digital branch of Warner Brothers and really out of like financial necessity they were like okay well you have to star in it and I was like okay so I was like forced to star in my own show and then once I did it I was like oh twist like I've actually always wanted to do this I just never gave myself permission to want those things you know what I mean yes 
I do. I really do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Who did you when you when you were imagining the show and you were thinking that it might be somebody else? No. Did you have no. Did you have anybody in mind? No. Gay disabled actors don't grow on trees, honey. I wish. Oh my god. I'm just like hanging outside of Easter seals with a net. I, um, th- that's just. I asked because I also love that. Like in terms of a, a, you know, denial in terms of where you're at mentally. Just going in and thinking like, and then we'll just get like some other like great gay disabled actor. I know. I'm I thinking know. of. Blank. Yeah. Well, I don't have an example, but I'm sure we'll find. Them. I know, I know, and like, and also like, they there are gay disabled actors now. I know because she's like plugged in, honey. Her fingers on the fucking pulse. But um, but I think also it was really important to me that this character has the same physicality as me, and that is really hard. Like, you can find another gay yes, disabled that, actor. Yes, that's a, yes, yeah, that's more that's specifically impossible. what I'm saying. That's fucking yeah, because you, you're writing all the stuff in like the specific exactly gags or whatever. Yep, yeah, yep, yep, yep. and like what problems this person has or how yes. they're interpreted and then you're trying to find so you're not just actually trying to find a disabled actor you're trying to find somebody with mild cp right who looks exactly like you as your same size and wears the same clothes that you do it's plus insane. your hair yeah it's and psychotic. also <laughs> yeah and i'm like not me i don't want to do that that's crazy but even like yeah. even okay so even like so like you know we're not officially greenlit for season two but it's looking very good and we were talking about um, a writer's room for season two because I wrote all the, the episodes of the first season and that just can't happen again. That took 10 years off my life. Um, and they were like, uh, and I was like, oh, well, I'll need a co-showrunner. And they were like, really? And I was like, yeah. And it like took me like weeks to realize, I'm like, wait, I like show ran the first season. It was just me writing all these episodes. Like I had amazing producers and an amazing director who definitely like were instrumental and amazing and did a credible job. But like I did this already, but my brain immediately goes to, I can't show run it. It's like, I can't show run the show. It's like, there's part of me that's like, well, I guess I'll be the writer's assistant season two. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) I've given myself the permission to have it be a story editor on my own show. Like it's so, it's so insidious. Like it's so crazy that my brain still goes to a place where it's like, oh, I can't do that. That's crazy. Even though I've already done it. I've already done so it. So what, what do you th- think that is? I, I, where I, do you think this root of like not wanting to demand or I don't know. I, I think it's like, a, I think it's like a that? marginalized person thing. I think everyone can relate to it. It's the fucking, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like it's like, it's it's just like us really um, feeling uncomfortable asserting ourselves. And I'm a conservative bitch. That's the crazy thing. Like if it's affecting me, it's affecting everybody times 10 because I am like a very vocal, strong person. But I guess I just never, I guess the things that I'm getting in my life, I never imagined on some level I did imagine, but I didn't imagine on this scale. I didn't imagine that. I didn't think that I'd be show running my own show at 32. I just didn't think that would happen. Um, I think that's what takes, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, I, I just second guess myself. You know what I mean? But then I'm like, wait, no, I'm can do it. So I'm like leaning in, honey. I'm leaning in. (laughs) What about your relationship? going through something like this, like a more intense version of any job. I mean, this is <laughs> what you're describing yeah. is a very intense um, and really demanding schedule. And then also putting your, like being out in front of folks for the first time and having all that. Cause I know you said four and a half years. So that must've meant yeah. that like very early in this relationship, yes. the book was optioned. Yes. And that was why when we started so dating. This, this yeah. person has sort of been with you through it all, but not, necessarily with the, with it looking this way and yeah. then suddenly you're like shirtless yeah, on TV totally. how is your relationship getting, getting getting thick that fucked in the ass? he yeah. um he's incredible like I'm not kidding you like he well I've been really lucky in the sense that I picked someone who is comfortable with himself and likes himself so any of the insecurities that poison a relationship we don't have like I feel very hashtag blessed we're also like communicative divas like we communicate everything so like I think of communication as like there are like 20,000 fires that could be started in a relationship at any given day and then like communicating immediately is just like getting the hose out immediately like it's just like it's like putting it out putting it out putting it out putting it out and if you don't honey that fire grows and then the house burns down so talk Um, to me about how you do that how do you as much as 
as personal as you want to get. Yeah, no, how, I, how do totally. you work on communicating in your relationship? And it doesn't, this isn't because I'm yeah. trying to get, but just like for a lot of folks that are listening, I agree with that. I think that's so, so you smart. Ha- and you, so have right. to, you have to be with someone who likes themselves. Like insecurity has nothing to do with you. So like mm. every, like it doesn't like, it's like, it's like there are like a lot of that shit is projection. It's like you project your own shit onto your partner and all of a sudden they're like the trash receptacle for your issues. And that's not fair. Do you know what I mean? And it has nothing to do with your actual relationship or your connection. So like, I feel very lucky. Like I'm very comfortable in myself, in my skin, in my relationship, in my boyfriend's the same way. Like we just, so it's like, we don't, there's no room for that. Like we like, and it's like, he's also a writer and like we lift each other up and we're like each other's cheerleaders and like a win for him is a win for me. Like we're just incredibly supportive, but it's like, again, like I got someone who was like fully formed and like who didn't have a brain that was like a jar of rat poison. Like, <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? Well, I just, but relationships can fall apart with no rat poison brain. Oh, I do we're think sure. that you what, can grow apart, which is yeah, like something I do you can't think that predict. The communication piece yeah. is, you know, how, how you're doing that. So like, are you guys sitting down face to face? Are you like texting with each other? Like, how do you keep that going during an uptick in schedule like this? The dialogue is always open. Like, it's like, and we'll talk about it. I'll be like, I'll check in. It's like a lot of checking and being like, how are you doing, babe? Like, uh-huh, that was pretty insane. Okay. Like, da 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 And it's just always kind of being aware of his feelings. And also just like, this sounds corny too to say, but like there needs to be just a general foundation of respect for each other, which again, I think in the the relationships that I see my friends getting into that are bad, I think there's also just a fundamental lack of respect on both. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, we just, we check in a lot and I don't know. I think it's sort of like, there's not like a proven formula. I think that when, when something's getting a little tense or when someone's feeling a little edgy, that's when we start being like, okay, like, how are you feeling about this? And then again, like we just diffuse it. We don't go to bed angry. That's a big role that we rule that we have. Um, yeah, I don't know. And like, yeah, like no, I, those are all really tangible things. You yeah, do know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. You just said very ta- yeah, tangible things. Yeah, it's important. But it's like, again, like I just love the shit out of him. And I just like want to bring him so much joy and happiness because it's like, I think I'm definitely crazier than he is. Like, and like sometimes I, if I feel my temper kind of rising or if I feel kind of angry and it's like displaced anger wanting to like pick a fight or something like that, I always think like, would he ever do this to me? Like, would he ever do this to me? And the answer is always no, because he's literally a sweetheart from heaven above. And I'm like, oh, then he would never do that. So like, why would I do that to him? You know what I mean? Like treat him how he treats you. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> How did you all meet? Uh, the next or, week, there's like a cheating scandal that breaks out. <laughs> I, I found out well, he's like fucking the nanny. We didn't even have a kid. <laughs> it's just a nanny that he's fucking. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, we're also open, which really helps too. And um, yeah, so I think oh, being open and, and you know, like we I went to Bears in Space like a couple weeks ago and like made out with two guys and like he watched the Tonys and we like lolled about it that night. Like <laughs> just, that's just the gay way, honey. <laughs> what, I know you said you hadn't dated a bunch that you were, no, you said long, long period of celibacy. So is this your first relationship? Absolutely. This person? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I dated someone in high school for six months, but that was nothing. That was like, you know, a relationship with training wheels. Um, I would date guys sporadically in New York when I lived there, but, um, I had like intimacy issues up the wazoo and, um, it was so funny. Like my whole mode was like, I would get obsessed with someone and project all these qualities onto them that like they definitely didn't have. Like one thing I realized, like, like I would always like call someone funny. And like, now I take being funny very seriously. And like, I categorize two people as either they're lollers or nollers. <laughs> and like, like I just realized I would like say, like, there's a lot of nollers out there and like people that you hang out with that you're like, wow, I should have actually just charged a fee because I did all the work and now I have back problems from carrying all the conversations. But, um, but anyway, I dated like a lot of guys in my twenties that like were very sweet and very nice, but like not a good fit, but also like I'd get obsessed with them. I did like, I would think all these things about them that weren't really true. And then I would get them and then I like my brain was like, it was like an intruder, like came into my brain and was like, run, 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 run. And I just would feel so uncomfortable. Like, 
like I would see couples in New York, like like going to the farmers market, like flea market, babe, like whatever, and I'd be like, how do people do this? Like, how do people just like live like happy, normal, functional lives? Like, how do you let anyone in? And then when I met Jonathan, my my boyfriend now, um, it was the same thing. I like I got obsessed with him. I I then then we started dating, and then I immediately started like freaking out about it. And um, but this time I realized that he actually was all those things that I wasn't projecting any qualities onto him. Like he was the real deal. And then I broke up with him. And then a month later, I was like, oh my God, I made a giant mistake and like begged him to take me back. <laughs> and I and I said to him, I said, here's the deal. Like I'm fucking crazy. And like my brain's like an unsafe neighborhood to walk around at night. But like, I promise to you that I will try to show up for you the best way that I know how. And I said it at the time, not even really believing it. Like I was like, I hope that's true. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like my brain doesn't caught up with my heart. Um, but it actually was true. I like, I don't know. I, I honestly feel like Jonathan is like a fluke that somehow, you know, like my brain is district nine. And then there's like a strawberry patch of like love and light where he resides, like safe away from the district nine. That's kind of what I look at it as. But that thing that you're talking about, projecting all those positive qualities and having that be pretty far away from the person that you're with, I think that is something that is really common. I think that is yeah. maybe not so specific to your brain as something that like a lot of folks do, especially early on in dating. You know, like especially yeah. when you're when you're going through like your first bunch of relationships, because of course, you know, we're fed all this these ideas that there's going to be like a person out there who's your number one person or you know, whatever it is. And then if you're queer on top of that, it's like you probably have, I mean, this is a little less true now than it would have been in the past, but not necessarily. Like you're probably a little bit behind um, other folks in terms of like the developmental developmental stuff when you're starting to date people. So then it's so important, you know, like your first relationship. I mean, I was like, I was 20 when I was, when I had my first girlfriend and had had boyfriends before that and then here comes this person and I couldn't figure out that something about her didn't work for me and break up with her because she was my whole family and my also my entire access to queerness and also you know the only so there was there's so much riding on everything of course it makes sense to like uh, prescribe all these things to folks and then also to have them like I think fall in a more it's like angels from heaven or whatever it's right. like you were supposed to be perfect <laughs> i know that's well, I, that was never even guaranteed I that's something that you made up you well, know in my case it was also incredibly narcissistic because i realized that like you know insecurity and narcissism are like fucking sisters they're like best friends and i think that like i was deeply insecure and i feel like I was projecting all these qualities onto people and like thinking, making them into these fantasy people that they weren't, but I wasn't actually paying attention to who they were. And I actually wasn't that interested in who they were. I don't think, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like if I actually was like, did I even think to like listen to them and like what they wanted? Like, I don't know. I was too busy, like just fashioning this like fantasy life for them and being like, okay, this is who they are. Like I wasn't really interested in like diving in because I couldn't, I was very limited. Narcissism limits you. You're just like, you're, yeah, you you can't go far. (laughs) Wow. That's, that's right. I mean, that's everything you're saying is yeah. Super (laughs) right. Narcissism does create another people a need for other people to fit into your yes. story yeah exactly opposed- it's all about building a narrative and like making sure they're giving you what you want and not thinking about what they need from you or who they are as people yeah, yes so master. then did you just find did you just happen to find somebody who specifically asks for what they need or I, I think I just, who demands I think I did it or how, of, how, what happened there? I think I did a lot of work on myself. Like I changed a lot. Like I spent my twenties, you know, lying about my disability. I was a car accident victim. I was addicted to drugs. And then I moved to LA. I got my dream job writing for television. Um, I started working out and kind of developing a healthy relation with my body for the first time. Um, and then I came out about having cerebral palsy, like for the first time. So all like the, the years between like 27, 27 and 28 were the years that I really just grew the fuck up. Like I truly got my shit together and kind of evolved into a healthier version of myself. So I think I was ready to, 
I would think I was ready. I mean, it sounds like corny, but like I was ready to receive that love. I was ready to receive that healthy yeah. love. Cause like anyone can get bad love. You can get bad love at like, you know, Costco or wherever. Like it's easy to get anyone to fall in love with you, but like to get, to be ready for that good love and to receive it and to let that in, that's like, that's like a gift, but you have to do the work on yourself. You have to do the work. When you say, because I think you said this, so you said this is real. So, and then you just said, so did you have to really do the thing where you, you like, do you still have people in your life from New York? Did you have to come out to people? Like you uh, said yeah. you came out well, as having CP. So did you have to make some phone calls? I, it's funny. I, I, it was funny because I was writing my book for, for, in New York and people were like, well, what's that about? And I was like, I don't know. Cause the way, the way I came out about having CP is I sold a book to Simon and Schuster that was like the stupid how to be a 20 something bullshit book and then I went to my kickoff meeting at Simon and Schuster and was like oh actually I want to write about cerebral palsy because it's so funny even like even though I was like in the deep recesses of hell and I was like 25 or 26 and like I I don't think I had the emotional intelligence to realize that really what was causing all this suffering was my lie about like throwing cerebral palsy into a dumpster but I think that you have these weird moments of clarity when you're young. And I, when I got the second, I got my book deal, I was like, there was something that within me that was like, this is your chance. You need to come out about being disabled. You need to come out being disabled again, not really understanding that the two were connected, not understand. And by the way, I think at 26, it's so funny. I don't think even I understood the depths, the misery that I was in. Like, it was sort of like, you remember girls, like that second episode where the gynecologist says, you couldn't pay me to be 24 again. That came out when I was 24. And I was like, why? It's pretty great. <laughs> and now I'm like, L-O, actual hell. Like that, I mean, like, it's crazy. So anyway, I went to Simon Schuster and I was like, I need to write my cerebral palsy. And they're like, okay, great. So uh, I started doing that. And then uh, people would ask what it was about. And I just like couldn't really tell them. And then I moved to LA and I can continue to work on the book while I was writing for television. So the book came, so basically what I did is I wrote a post for, for Thought Catalog, which was where I was writing sometimes still. And that was my coming out, was just coming out via a blog post. <laughs> As I'm, I'm a very modern girl. so <laughs> And it really wow. was just like me coming out to the world. And it was just, it changed my fucking life. It really did. And did folks have... Like you, do you, you heard from friends, like, yeah, like people course, in your life yeah. saw this. Yeah, this well, was people before I moved to New York, like people I went to high school with knew I had cerebral palsy, but they didn't talk about it because they knew that they want to talk about it. So it. it was like, I, it was so interesting. Like, I wonder again, because there's no, like, like people f like from my past, like would come to visit me in New York and meet my New York friends. But again, I wasn't sitting there being like, Oh God, be like Becky, don't mention that I have CP to my new friends. They don't know. Like it, do it doesn't come up does not come up. So I, in terms of like tracking the lie or whatever, like, I don't know. I, yeah, I, 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 oh, think I mean, I, there's no, there's no need to, for you to, I mean, you can track the lie if you want yeah. to, but like, I fucking get it. Do, yeah, I mean, totally. I lived, I, I was closeted in high school. I like, I mean, in college, I, as, as I was coming out, I was at a place where you couldn't come out. I could be kicked out of school. Right. And so it's not like I was telling everybody in college, although like then eventually, obviously, I'm literally like now just like famously gay. Like I just right, mean like right, like I just couldn't be more out. And yes. so I I certainly have never I've never gone to like a high school reunion type thing. I mean, I think anybody I think also a lot of people can relate to what you're talking about. About <laughs> having this group of people know this thing about you, this group right. of people know this thing about you. It's more so just thinking about like um if you're keeping any of those people in your life, you know, and they have transitioned from one from one image of you to another yeah. like a lot of my well, college no cares, friends though no one cares well, that's a twist that's what i realized no that's one interesting. gives a shit it was i i, I spent <laughs> you gave a shit no i gave that's a shit i gave the gave most shits yes. i gave so yes. many shits that no one else could give a shit because i took them right. all yeah, I, yeah. I, and then i imported them from different countries i imported sure. shits from different countries so literally the the, the i was carrying all the shits around and then i was living around sh like shitless people <laughs> like, yeah yeah yeah. you stole all their shits you went yes, into their butts took all you their took shits. their shits Yep, 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 um, yep. <laughs> and also you just sort of said as an aside that you were addicted to drugs. Yeah, I did. I, I was addicted to painkillers for, for a couple of years, but very you, highly, highly functional. Very highly yeah. Functional. How did you, did you, um, how did, how did I, you move through that? I, so that was also a strange thing too. So 
I got hit by a car when I was 20, obviously. And that's when I was prescribed Vicodin, which I needed legitimately for a year for pain because I had to wear a splint every night before bed. And the way that worked was that my my hand was really fucked up after the accident and my fingers were curled up. So they needed to straighten out. So I'd wear this splint every night to straighten my fingers, but it was extremely painful because they're like my fingers were fighting against the, the splint. Um, so I took painkillers every night to literally go to bed um, to deal with the pain. And I like that. So that was like, and I loved them. I was like, this is so, this was so fucking amazing. But I also like, wasn't really addicted. I just was taking it as the doctor said. Um, and then I would say I took painkillers kind of on and off from 20 to 24. And then when I was 24, I was sort of just like, I was so exhausted by like dancing around painkillers. I was sort of like, I'd go on a binge and then I wouldn't do it for a couple months. And then I'd go on a binge and wouldn't do it a couple months. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to just fucking do it. I'm going to do painkillers every fucking day. I'm going to just throw myself into the fucking painkiller ocean and see if I sink or swim. Um, so then I did painkillers 20, like the, the ages of 24 to 26, pretty regularly, like for sure. Um, even when I wasn't doing them, I was thinking about them and, you know, going to a bunch of dealers and all that stuff. And, uh, it was a really wild time. Um, I also was prolific as a writer. I was writing for this blog and getting a lot of attention. So my, my, my career was sort of like weirdly on fire, but I was just high all the time. And then when I moved and it was getting kind of bad towards the end, I was sort of like not doing it as much, but then I would binge and, and I would take as much as I used to take, but I, I couldn't take it anymore because my tolerance was down. So I'd end up like throwing up all weekend and being sick. And, um, it just wasn't a way to live a life. And then, so when I moved to LA, I didn't have any connections. I didn't have any dealers. And then I got staffed and awkward pretty much like a month after I moved to LA. And I was like, well, I can't, go to my dream job high. And then I did painkillers probably like five times, like after I moved to LA, like through friends that had it. And I swear to God, it just, it didn't work anymore. Like the high felt different. It didn't feel good. I like, I kept being like, I want this to be over. I want this to be over. I want this to be over. So then I just got, I just phased it out kind of naturally, which I know feels like crazy. Like I actually feel self-conscious telling this story, not because it's like too vulnerable, but because I never went to like AA or NA. I went to a ton of AA meetings and NA meetings when I was living in New York because I so badly just wanted to be an addict because I just feel like if I had that label, then I could just like get clean and like figure it out. But I wasn't really an addict. And I think that's what I realized. But that also fucked me up because then I was like, well, then I don't know what this is. Why am I taking painkillers? Like, why, why am I doing this all the time? And I think that I just kind of gently phased it out of my life over the course of a year in L.A. And then it just I haven't done it in years now. And it just it, I don't know. It's a not traditional coming clean sober story. <laughs> I mean, uh, sure. Yes. I think that like, you know, I I think what you're saying is that. 12 step programs can be really helpful and I yes. think that's I think that's a, a, an important thing to yes, acknowledge. Absolutely. And then I also think that you know if the if secrets are sort of known to be one of the roots of yes, um, addiction or addictive behavior then you know a person who's freed of their secrets yep. it doesn't so surprise me. I think there's a I think that you know that's a lot of what folks are are getting through a twelve step program is is a structure to work through secrets yeah. and you know be more connected have um, work on their ability to like work work on an ability to yeah um, I didn't need to numb open. myself anymore that's what I think it was I didn't need what I used painkillers for I no longer needed. And also, like, I was that basic bitch that just got, like, addicted to the gym and then endorphins. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. You know what I mean? I think, well, also, that's another thing. Like, when I started working out, I always saw my body as a source of failure. I always looked at my body as, like, what it couldn't do. And then working out completely rewired my brain and made me be like, oh, my God, look what my body can do. It, all of a sudden, it became, like, giant source of inspiration. And then, like, I don't want to do pink color. So that's, like, mean to my body. You know what I mean? I love my body now. So I wouldn't want to, like, hurt it. Like, that you know what I mean I mean yeah 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 so that also helped <laughs> it was like yeah. a confluence of events I think 
Absolutely. It's, it sounds like it. Yeah. Well, before, first of all, it's been so great talking to you. And thank you for making this work across the continental of United course, States. Of and before I send you back into your day, I just want to ask you to shout out a Quiro, which is yes. person, place, or thing made you feel like you can be who you are today. Oh, my God. Does it have to be just one? No. Can it be like, ha- okay. Okay. I think, yeah. I, I'm. Okay. Tell me. I'm thinking, tell me the okay. things. I'm thinking of major ones growing up. Okay. Uh, okay. Ricky Vasquez on My Sickled Life. Obviously. Um, duh. Mary Cherry and Nicole Julian on Popular on the WB. Um, Karen Walker on Will and Grace. And um, Provincetown. Those are the ones. <laughs> the city. Yeah. The city of Provincetown. Have yeah. you gotten to meet any of those actors who played those Oh, yeah. Leslie, iconic Leslie characters? Grossman and I, who played Mary Cherry, like had lunch once. And like it was crazy because it was like she – I I – she does not know how she's like a goddess to me. Like she's like literally like a list Brangelina. Like she's everything to me. And I like had to keep it chill. Cause we were just like getting lunch as like peers. And I couldn't like lean in too much of the fandom of it all, but she's incredible. She's lol. Do you know her? She's lol. No, I don't. Um, she's really lol. But I do. I do totally understand that feeling of getting to be, well, I get to, you know, what is my favorite thing in the world is because I'm a stand-up comic first is when I get to do stand-up for someone yeah. that I really respect. Totally. And so I've gotten to perform for Wilson Cruz, who, who played Ricky Vasquez, uh, which was a dream come true. That is because, such a dream. Yeah. And like, he's also a super nice man, but I just mean, it's one thing to like shake someone's hand or, you know, like chat, chat with them or whatever, but it's a whole other thing if someone gets to see me do stand-up because I feel like that's like... They've like seen me, like I saw him do his thing mm-hmm. that I love the most or whatever. And like now he, he's seen me do my thing or whatever. It it's feels like you're that's a, like the m- moment of it's not peerdom, but like where you're like, you really see it. Like, yep. here, let me give you my. Yep. You're here like, is it's my like gift. writing a love letter. I shall letter give it to, them. to you. Yeah. yeah exactly. It is a love letter. Yeah. yeah that's perfect. Well, it was a total pleasure to meet you. Yes. I will be um, thinking of you for a pickup for season oh, two. Thank you. Thank and you. You know, good luck with your projects. the rest of your day. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with your projects. <laughs> good luck with the rest of your day. Thank you. 